All right, here we are with another episode of the High Ground, powered by Premier Company. Sal, how's it going? Doing wonderful today. Good. Hey, Glenn Longball is back with us. He is on the road in this busy time of year, which it seems like the way they're hitting it, it's probably closer to the, maybe the 1st of June than it is the 1st of May. But uh, we've had a big spring, and that's why we've got you on, uh, Glenn. We want to talk a little bit about that. But before we get started, you have a question of the day to answer. Oh, forgot about that. So... Glenn, your question of the day is, what is the one productivity tool that you could not live without and what makes it indispensable to you? Mm. Yeah, you're going to qualify that a little bit. When you say productivity tool, we talking like software or are we talking hardware, right? I, I, no, I, I, mean, I, I think I, it's It open. could be an iPhone or a shovel in your job. I'm not sure. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, pick well, it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, an iPhone. If you're talking about hardware, then it's all about it's all about iPhones and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I guess it, the first thing that came to my mind was around software, right? And I use PowerPoint, for example, every day um, when I do trainings and when I do presentations, and it's really a way for me to organize um, <clears throat> stories, you know, render it down into just a few bullet points so that it keeps me on track. But I don't think of that as being something that's a game changer. You know, Excel, right, is is for farmers, it's not very sexy, but I'll tell you, uh, having a spreadsheet where you can um, put in real numbers, right? I've got a cash flow spreadsheet that I built myself. Well, my daughter helped me. She's a CPA. And she made it to where I could change metrics like price of, of grain and uh, do scenarios, right? Where what happens if corn goes to $4.50 or what happens if, you know, corn goes to seven bucks. And, and I can change that now real easily without going through every farm. But basically it is a farm by farm <clears throat> Uh, spreadsheet that looks at profitability of each farm. And I think that most growers are like me. They probably, um, you know, when they think about investing in a new piece of equipment, they think about their uh, expenses, um, you know, they kind of let the good farms carry the bad farms, right? They really don't want to know how bad the farm, the bad farms are. And it's probably not in their best interest to, (laughs) to be, Uh, conscious of how good, you know, how easy their good farms are, right? So we kind of just kind of smoothie it over. But I'm telling you, it is sobering when you put real numbers, real yields on every farm. Um, What what you'll discover really quickly is that it has nothing to do, because by the way, it didn't just look at profitability, it looks at the expense side and it looks at the income side. And I'm telling you, the single biggest factor is without question yield right? You cannot save enough money on a crappy piece of ground. You cannot save enough money. You cannot, (laughs) um, uh, you you can't fix it, right? Unless you can improve the yield, right? That is the secret ingredient. And, um, you know, when we talk about in the field, it's got to be climate, right? It's, It's not the climate field view. It's the climate field view cab version, right? That's been a game changer for me because I'm just really not good in the heat of battle of making good records, right? <clears throat> and so um, if, if you're keeping track of your uh, what you planted where on a on a notebook in your shirt pocket, <laughs> which is the way we did it for yep. years, right? <clears throat> I'm not saying you don't have the you don't have the data recorded, but it's highly unlikely that that will ever equate to um, any meaningful, right? It, it's very unlikely unless you plant fields with one variety. It's probably not likely that's going to 
work itself into really meaningful data. Cab, that, that field view cab, uh, it is the money, right? Hmm. It takes you, now, uh, granted, it, early in the season, the first field or two you put into, pull into or when you first change varieties, <clears throat> it takes five minutes maybe to put in the data, you know, to get it started. In five minutes, when a planter is sitting still, seems like two hours. Yeah. But after you get started, it doesn't take any length of time at all, right? Basically, you change the field, and um, it knows what's in the right half of the planter, the left half of the planter. Uh, it gives you population data. It gives you, you know, it. And the money is when you get there in the fall with the combine, you don't have to try to remember. You don't have mm. to dig your notebook out and say, well, I know it's these two hybrids, but which one is which, right? There's none of that. It knows spatially exactly where you're at, and it records that data spatially as you go through the field, the yield data. And it's crazy accurate. It's actually more accurate than my John Deere monitor is using the same metrics. And I don't know what the difference is in the algorithms, but it is uh, it is really unique. And and it's it, it's really changed the way I look at it. At products, right? Used to, I'd go through the field and I'd say, yeah, um, this product is better than this product, right? But now when you get the real data, sometimes they're much closer than what you really thought. Mm. And, and the other neat thing is you can carve areas out, right? So sometimes we be, we're, we're very superstitious as a whole. I'm talking about humans, not just farmers, but we're all pretty superstitious as a whole. And if the if one variety, for example, falls into the worst part of the field, you, you automatically want to condemn that variety, yeah. right? <laughs> or maybe even that <laughs> brand. And what you'll and find your, and is your salesman. <clears throat> And your salesman, yeah, right? You want to throw him under the bus. <laughs> That's right. Your poor, poor, poor weasley, low-life agronomist. Flipping yeah, agronomist. poor agronomist. He gets kicked too, right? Actually, he doesn't get kicked by the grower. He gets kicked by the by the seller, right? right. It's the <laughs> kick the dog, <laughs> kick the dog syndrome. I right? learned it by watching no. you. <laughs> well, when you can draw in an area on the map, a bear is probably going to get, they're probably going to be beside themselves, right? Hearing me talk about their product. But when you draw in that area on a map, whether it's a trapezoid or a circle, or maybe you just freeform an area, it's like, you know what? Let's throw the bad areas out. Let's just look at, at the stuff that really makes this farm. And that thing gives you uh, the the varieties that you have planted. Maybe you switched and you went from two varieties to three varieties in that area. You get metrics on how many acres of each one of those varieties, what did they yield, what was the moisture, what percentage of that hybrid was on a Selma, and what percentage of it was on a Vincent's, uh, or what percentage was on a Zip. You know, it even gives you the soil types. It is absolutely a game changer. Now, obviously, you have to have spatial technology underneath that, right? We can talk about John Deere's uh, or Case IH's or Ravens. You know, we can talk about spatial technology, the, the auto steer and that sort of thing. But, man, if you're just using auto steer, if the only good you're getting out of that is nice straight lines across the field, then you're not living. You're not using that technology to its potential because its real potential is to use that to mark you spatially in the field and help you track, help you be a better manager of information so you can make better decisions in the winter right well that five minutes doesn't sound like it's very long whenever you think of all you can do with it the five minutes it takes to put the data in right the first time yeah well that's only the first time right yeah. it, 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 the first time you're right it's like well how do i get the you know how to get this variety you know you maybe have one the varieties are on the wrong side of the planet right and that first time i every time i'm you know it's like well gee how do i get those 
back and forth. And then once you figure it out, it's like, oh, next time it doesn't take you any length of time at all. But but yeah, we're uh, as a whole, we we get pretty well, there's just a lot of anxiety because there's so much at stake, right? People that don't farm don't understand that even a modest, you know, even a hobby farmer might have a million dollars in revenue, right? I mean, there is a huge amount of money at stake and it's hard not to be filled with anxiety when you go to the field because, you know, it may look like a no-brainer and typically when we get into May, it becomes, um, you know, much easier to make decisions. But when it's the first part of April and the weather forecast is not particularly great and maybe the ground's a little bit early and I'm telling you, those decisions can have a huge impact at the end of the year. Hmm. And you know they did, right? And and yet we have all kinds of consultants telling you, oh, I just plant it. I just plant that, you know, <laughs> real nonchalant, right? That That's a consultant that you might want to steer away from. Yeah, I don't know. I I had that conversation with a couple of growers this spring. It's like I don't know. I've never seen the ground look like this in early April before. So I think I think my recommendation would be to go. I mean, they don't look for me for recommendations anymore. But uh, you know, I mean, but they certainly don't want to hear that. Well, you might as well do it early so you got time to do it again. That's not a good. That's probably not yeah. good either. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Thanks a lot. That's, that's exactly the kind of yeah. You know, I I, I didn't figure you could say that anymore. No, you can't say it any better. The only way you can say it better, maybe, is is uh, you know, th- and this tainted my my view of this spring, right? A lot of times it has to do with what happened to you the previous year, or maybe the previous couple of years. I can tell you that last year is like I'm not going to plant in the mud in April, but I ended up planting in the mud in June, right? And that's much worse. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. When when you have a year like that, then it taints you, uh, and and you know what? It's easy to consult on stuff that you don't have. Um, uh, you, you know, if you're not invested in it, it's e- much easier to consult. However, I can tell you as a consultant, you are much more objective, right? Uh, when, when the weather forecast is terrible and you've only got one day ahead of a great big, what's forecast to be a toad strangler, then it's very easy to be, to be as an agronomist to say, hey, objectively, this is probably not the time to go slam a bunch in the ground, right? But to a grower who's saying, man, oh, man, I, I got shut out last year. I want to make a motion. I, I don't want to be the last one done. Uh, you know, there, then anxiety and, um, you know, it, it's less objective then, right? And so uh, that's probably enough said. I'm, I'm, my, my anxiety level is going up just thinking. About it. Sounds like you're stressing <laughs> yourself out. That's been the longest, best, longest answer to the question of the day we've had, I think. <laughs> Good. I'm sorry. That's well, good. good. Well, we well we've kind of gone off into the the next topic, and that's sure. really what's going on in the field. And um, you so, know, I, I would tell you this. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just gonna I was just gonna follow up and lead you down that path to say we planted some awesome looking ground in April, and then it got cold and it got wet, and um, so we'll we'll lead you down that path. But go ahead and finish your thought for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so well, I'll just start right there. Those those folks that planted in early April, uh, because the ground was really fit, uh, that almost trumps weather. You know, I mean, if you <laughs> if you can go into really good environments, and um, you know, you don't just get pounded immediately, 
Uh, the old timer said that if corn lays in dry ground three days, it'll about always come up, and that is true. Now, when you plant early and you have suboptimal temperatures, uh, the caveat of, of cool temperatures is not that the corn doesn't come up. That's not the problem. The problem with cool temperatures or suboptimal temperatures is that it comes up erratically, right? It's temporal variability. But, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, if, if I was a grower and I looked at my stand and I planted early April um, and, and maybe I was a half a leaf collar or, or a, maybe had one leaf collar difference, um, I would I would call that pretty good. I think that's success. You know, there's there's several folks that have date on that. You can look at university data and it would suggest that, yeah, there's, there's an impact having temporal variability. And then you can look at like precision planning's data and it would suggest that if you have any temporal variability, it's just an absolute train wreck. And, and I, I think that's exaggerated, right? They, um, they, they probably exaggerate that because it helps them sell maybe more attachments. Not that we don't need the attachments, but I, I think they probably exaggerate <clears throat> the losses from temporal variability. But you know, I have been totally surprised this year. When you see uh, the way, not the way the good ground went in, but there was a lot of ground that was still pushed. And there was a lot of ground that was in cover crops that didn't get burnt down timely. And, um, you know, I would consider the, the um, some of the conditions less than optimal. And we had really cold weather. And yet the stands are pretty good. In fact, on soybeans, I think when you look at these soybean stands, Ryan, the first thing that comes to mind is, man, that's really a good stand of soybeans. And you know what that means almost every time? That means they're too thick, right? <laughs> if you're looking at soybeans when they first come up and, and, they, and, and they look really good, that's probably a sign that they're too dead burn thick. So, I mean, it, uh, what, I guess why I would finish it this way. It's totally surprising how good the stands look this year because of the cool temperatures. But um, soybeans are have, have come up miraculously well, and even corn has come up with very little temporal variability, and um, spatial variability has been excellent, right? And part of that's because of seed treatments. Part of that's because, you know, they breed our corn to, to have excellent vigor. If they don't have excellent vigor, nothing makes it to commercialization, right? Right. Because because the majority of acres are are I, I would say the majority of acres now are probably some form of conservation tillage, right? I'm I'm I just came through the bottoms. I went through uh, this morning. Basically, I've been through the White River bottoms, the Patoka River bottoms, and the uh, Wabash bottoms. And it's amazing how much overflow ground is not being worked, right? It's being burnt down and being hmm. uh, no-till. And that's surprising on that kind of ground. I mean, you expect, you're in Lawrence County, right? So we got Premier, which is pretty pretty wide, right? They cover a pretty wide swath. And they go from some of the best ground in Davis County all the way over to, to uh, Rush County, Shelby County. And, and, and you expect those areas to, <clears throat> to work some ground. Uh, in between, you would expect... Uh, in all that hilly, rough ground uh, that we have in between, uh, you would fully expect them to to no-till that. But when you get into these uh, creek bottoms, river bottoms, and guys have adopted and learned how to manage conservation tillage in that environment, uh, that really says something, right? I, I think people are finally adapting uh, adapting or adopting, they've adopted the, the the idea, they've adopted the technology, and they've adapted to make it work, right? Because the hmm. first time you do it, it probably is not that successful, right? You 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 learn that hey, if I'm going to put a cover crop on this wet 
nature ground, it's got to be burnt off early, right? I can't go in there and, yeah. and plant it green when it's dead high and, and expect to have a, a stand that's, you know, vigorous and uniform and that sort of thing. But no, the crop I think is in excellent shape. There's some perils, right? Uh, we've got a we've got a period of four days of rain. Some places have had a little rain and are wet again. If you've got uh, uh, if you've got lots of residue and lots of cover, uh, doggone it, those slugs they don't go away on their own, right? And and when you get into cool weather and they can start uh, venturing out from their safe harbor in residue or just below the soil surface and get up on the crop. Boy, they can make it go away really quickly. So, um, you know, I would tell you if we go into a, a period of, you know, a week of overcast conditions, uh, rainfall, even if slight rainfall, you might want to pay real close attention to, to your stands. And if they look like you've got stand that's just disappearing, that's probably slugs and you need to probably be out there. I can tell you to the west of us, they've got uh, true armyworm already. Uh, there's been some black cut worm. Of course, we always have black cut worm. But um, when true armyworms come in and it's that time of year, right? Uh, wheat's headed um, and, uh, you know, you, you'll have it oftentimes start in wheat fields or start in ditches or start in non-crop areas. And when they move across a, a bean field or a, uh, more commonly a cornfield, man, they can wreak havoc in a hurry. So I just, I'd, I would probably look out for, um, uh, you know, if I had a grower, if I was done and, and I was, um, uh, you know, interested, which, I, which I'm not done, but I'm interested in keeping a good crop. I would keep really close tabs on the critters, right? Make sure you don't have any uh, slug problems and make sure you uh, don't have any armyworm or black cutworm problems. And then the next thing on the horizon is making sure you get this crop cleaned up well um, when it's the right time, right? I, I hate to see corn get up to V4, V5, and then cleaned up, right? We've got off to a nice start. Let's go in there at V2, V3, at the latest V4, and let's get our residuals on. Let's kill weeds when it's time to kill weeds, and then let's come back and jack them up with um, uh, nutritionals and fungicide and that sort of thing maybe a little later when we get closer to grain growth. Yeah, and you had the interns in um, yesterday all day. You had them in the boardroom for training, for some agronomy training, and then you had them out in the field yeah. in the afternoon, and those are some of the topics that you were talking about with with uh, bringing them up to speed with some of the things that they'd be seeing out there as, as uh, they're getting deployed out to do the scouting, and they've got brand-new iPads to take pictures of what they find in the field, and – with the with the quality of photographs we have today they can send those back and and once you've seen slug damage once or twice you're pretty much an expert on it aren't you glenn you can you <laughs> can ad correct. identify it pretty quick after that yeah so i'd have a call out to jeff davis he sent me a photograph yesterday <clears throat> excuse me he sent me a photograph yesterday and it was a uh you know it was a it was a, <clears throat> a chunk of soil right and it was obviously um you know, from the eastern side of the territory. <laughs> he, he told me where it was at. I was like, man, that looks like that's out of the Muscatatuck bottoms. And basically it was, um, you know, really tight ground and, and it'd come up in a big chunk and here were slugs all over it. And I was oh, like, wow. yeah, I said, I'm, I'm said, I'm surprised you didn't find something that looked like leeches that are two inches long down in the soil. Cause that's, that's really common on those types of soils. And then he confirmed, yeah, he had seen some of those, right. Where these slugs get enormous and they don't really have to go above ground to hurt you. They basically 
<clears throat> on that kind of ground, it's often to have kind of a seed trench. Uh, even if it got pinched shut at the top, it's hollow uh, underneath the surface, and they will make a living going down that seed trench, uh, you know, taking out the seed, taking out the, the mesocotyl and the, the root system, and, and they, I mean, they can wreck a corn stand in just a hurry. In this case, it was soybeans, and they were, uh, I think they were, <laughs> like I said, slug damage, you recognize it because it's like the disappearing crop, right? They don't leave carcasses. So you don't see cut plants. I mean, they're just gone. It's like, it's almost like aliens beamed them up, right? <laughs> and there's no good answer, right? I mean, there's not a, I mean, we'd like there, to think there is, but there's, other than some dry weather and, and sunshine, there's not a good, there's no remedy. You're you're exactly well there is there is but it's, there's not yeah. i mean yeah they're they're not very well there's one that's really successful and that's that's tillage well if you've got slugs it's probably because you're trying not to practice tillage yep. but that's one time when you when you submit right you say okay i i'm a conservation farmer but i'm going to get a tillage tool out and i'm going to cut this open <clears throat> because that is the the surest way to get rid of them right and it doesn't mean you have to use it every year but when when you have slugs um, that's a that's a good way to do it. The other thing is obviously uh, there's a couple different products like metaldehyde, uh, metaldehyde or um, uh, the trade name is is Deadline, right? And uh, those products work okay. They're baits. Um, you know they're they're fairly expensive for the level of efficacy you get. Yeah. But um, you know there's one probably one other thing I better share before I get off here because I know you guys don't be on yeah. in the morning. It's what do we do if we have a failed crop on corn, right? That's a that's a question every year. We've got a crop, we're it's up, it's sporadic, it's maybe got gaps, or for whatever reason, maybe you had slugs. Well, how do we terminate it and go back to corn? Well, the first, you know, traditionally there's been three. Now there's actually four ways to terminate corn, right? Number one is tillage again, right? I would go in, field cultivate it or disc it. Uh, a couple times. Don't try to do it with a vertical tillage seal. You're just going to wall them around and those that were strong are going to survive and then that's going to be a weed in the subsequent crop, right? So so go in and do some kind of, uh, you know, really strong secondary tillage is probably number one. Historically, we've used low rates of section, uh, but the problem is that's really slow and we're using such low rates. If you do that, right, that's using clethodim, uh, make sure you have lots of oil and lots of water. Make sure you get lots of coverage. And, um, and and remember, you cannot go over those low rates. You know, it's like two ounces or you could potentially have uh, issues with plant back restrictions, right? Uh, corn, uh, it does have soil activity and you cannot go back to corn if you go over that threshold. In fact, you can't go back to green sorghum at all. The third method has always been to use gramoxone and metribuzin. And again, it looks pretty nuclear and it, 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 you think you've killed it, but oftentimes because the growing point is below ground uh, and corn is pretty resilient when it's small, uh, you end up having a redo or you end up having, um, you know, uh, a, a significant amount of survivors. And then uh, we have a new product that, that uh, one of my peers tested. He demoed it last year quite a bit, and that's the Helm product called Reviton. And that may be the fit for Reviton, right? We were going to try to use it as a burndown product, and it's a little weak on mayor's tail. And so it never really caught traction. But for terminating corn, uh, guys, it is it is excellent. And, you know, the rate is like one to two ounces, and even at one ounce, it was, it was very deadly on corn. 
So uh, keep that in your hip pocket. Uh, ask your premier account rep if you have some corn that you want to terminate and replant and uh, <clears throat> tell them you heard about a product called Reviton. And, and I think that would be an excellent uh, tool to, to terminate a, 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 a suboptimal state. Well, good deal. Well, uh, I think that you're going to be busy today and you're trying to probably get some crops on the ground too, but we had some big news. You actually started full-time with uh, Premier Ag as uh, our agronomist. You, we've been sharing you with Winfield United or Winfield United has been sharing you with us, but now we're selfish and you are hundred percent Premier Ag. So welcome aboard, Glenn. <laughs> well, so. thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. I'm tickled to death. Ryan, right. that's all I've got. Do you have anything else? I do not. Glenn, get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. All right. That's thanks another episode of the iGround Powered by Premier Companies. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe and find us anywhere you find uh, your favorite podcast. Thanks. Thanks.